On a scale of 1 to 10, I want you to rate yourself at these following disciplines. And nobody's going to call out a number, so you're safe to just be honest between you and the Lord. On a scale of 1 to 10, how disciplined are you with your finances? Just try in your mind to picture what is the number you give yourself when it comes to the discipline of your financial stewardship. All right? How about your physical health? What do you give yourself? in the way of a score between 1 and 10 when it comes to your level of discipline. There are certain disciplines we know we're supposed to be good at, and we're taught from youth, you've got to build this discipline, this time management discipline. Without the discipline of time management, you will have no other disciplines, right? And so you know you're supposed to be doing that. But there are some disciplines that you don't know that you're supposed to be at work developing in your life. I want you to turn now to the idea of what would you give yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 for your discipline of how you have learned to rest. How good are you at rest? How good are you on a scale of 1 to 10 at monitoring your inner narrative for the voice of truth? See, these are things that are so very critical to walking with God, and yet we hardly ever hear anybody say, let me help you work out that discipline in your life. The discipline of rest, the discipline of monitoring and understanding the voice that you're listening to, and understanding whether or not it's true or not. This morning as we look at Exodus chapter 16, I want you to know this. The Lord is teaching the nation of Israel how to look to Him for rest. It's not intuitive. It's not something you're going to pick up accidentally because it just makes sense. In fact, everything goes against this particular discipline in their lives and in ours. We we just won't learn that accidentally. And so if you look at the nation of Israel in between the exodus where the Red Sea parts and they go through on dry ground all the way up to when they receive the law of God in chapter 20 of Exodus, you will find that God is giving them various lessons in the wilderness. Their wilderness journey mirrors our journey between salvation and going home someday to heaven. There are things that they learn that we need to learn. And that's why we're in this series, learning to trust God in the wilderness, learning how to listen to his voice. And so I want you to just slow your heart and mind down this morning, turn your attention to the Father who saved you and the Father who loves you and the Father who knows you and intends to speak to you this morning. He knows what He wants to say to you. And I want you to just receive from God the life-giving message that He wants you to hear today. Pray with me. Our Father and our God, thank You for letting us be here this morning. Thank You that You gather with the church in a unique and wonderful and beautiful way as we open the Bible, as we sing out praises to you. God, we need you to help us because our minds race on towards Monday. 
and the things, the deadlines, and the, the pressures that are waiting for us there. Help us, God, to slow down. Help us to believe that we're not orphans in this world who are having to care for themselves, provide for themselves, defend themselves. We have a Father. We have a friend who is Almighty God who sees us and loves us and shepherds us by His good and loving hand. I pray, God, that You would empower me to preach and I pray that You would empower Your people to hear that we might love You and trust You and through that that we might exalt the name of Jesus pray that in his name. Amen. Chapter 16. We are only a handful of weeks out of Egypt in this storyline. It's not been that long ago that this group right here in chapter 16 has seen the miracles of the plagues that led up to the Passover. They had to be in a place where they could say, I've never seen anything like that before. Like to, to watch how God delivered them supernaturally from the hand of Pharaoh, from the Egyptian whip and the slavery that was their life, the misery that was their life, must have been awe-inspiring to be a part of that group and to see with your own eyes the way God had delivered you. And as they come into chapter 16, they have just come out of a place where they'd sung the song of freedom, they'd sung about God's love and His majesty and all of that. They had come to a place where there was no water that they could drink, no problem. God will provide water for you. Now, water's pretty important. I think we'd all agree about that. It's, they're in the wilderness. They need to drink water. And so God provides it for them. And then they come to this place. It says in uh, chapter 15, verse uh, 27, they came to Elim where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. And so this is glamping, right? This is my taste for if you had to go out and camp. This is where you want to do it. And so when we come into chapter 16, and, and we realize there are only a handful of weeks outside of that deliverance, these words kind of shock us a little bit. It says in chapter 16, they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Now that sounds like you know, nothing good is going to happen there. Okay, but hold on. Which is by Elim and Sinai, it was the 15th day of the second month, and departed from the land of Egypt. So they're pretty new at this. And, and this wilderness of Sin is really just a, a the shortened version of Sinai. And so they're really just in a geographical place where they're coming into something new. They've lived as slaves. They've lived in Egypt all of their lives, and now they're in this spot. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, verse 2, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you, Moses and Aaron, have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, the whole assembly, with hunger. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's kind of one of those things where you look and you go, really? I mean, come on, guys. 
you know, I mean, we have seen quite a bit of God's care. We have sung the song of victory. We've, we've seen what he's done. Even when we didn't have water, we've seen all that. And yet, this is a real thing. There are no grocery stores. I mean, there are no uh, convenience stores to go to and say, okay, well, there's no fields that they can plant seeds in. They look up and they realize, we're in trouble. We've gone through the food that we have, and they probably weren't starving yet, but they were looking forward with fear. Imagine this for a moment. If you're in that group, what are you going to do to provide for your little ones, for yourself? And so, in the midst of that, what ought to be a no-grumble zone, would we agree with that, that if you'd seen that kind of miracle, if you'd you'd seen God at work like that, that you would say, I'll never doubt Him again. In fact, if I come into a scenario where I can't see a way forward, we know what we ought to do. Right? You would would be there saying, one thing we're not going to do is sit around complaining. What we are going to do is collectively get on our knees and confess to God that we see no way forward. Would you help us? And yet they don't do that. What do they do? Well, they start to complain. Every now and then when I'm reading in the New Testament and I listen to the 12, and in fact, Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 20, let me find that because it, it kind of tells a story that sounds more familiar to me than I would like. Yeah, chapter 8, verses 14 through 20, it says that the disciples, the 12 who had Jesus with them, and he's just fed a multitude, and yet says they've gotten in the boat, and now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they only had one loaf with them. Now this is, mind you, right after feeding 4,000 people. They've gotten into a boat, and they've only got one loaf of bread. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod. For they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the uh, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, twelve, one for each guy. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Go back to Exodus with me. These people are really kind of the same. I mean. They kind of don't get it. You got the bread maker in the boat. So there's really no point in freaking out right now. I mean, you just saw him do that, right? The question is, will he do it again? And so when I look at this passage and I see myself in it, I find myself recognizing this. If I forget who God is, I am prone to start complaining. I'm prone to get anxious, and I'm prone to look back on the past with rose-colored glasses and imagine, man, remember back when we were in college, how awesome it was? Okay, you, you had no money. <laughs> you, 
you're living in a dump, you know. I mean, you're looking back and you're remembering something through these rose-colored glasses. And yes, there was a lot of goodness of God in that. But here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to forget that God is for you. You're going to forget that God is your provider. You're going to forget that he loves you. And you're going to say something foolish like, gosh, I wish I could just go back to slavery. Or at least I had a meat pot in Egypt instead. I mean, the scriptures are pretty clear here. They were in torment. They were in slavery. And their cry reached up to God. And because they have forgotten how God has delivered them, because they've forgotten the faithful hand of God in their life, they can't remember anything about the misery of that. And all I can think about is their immediate need. And that's us, right? That's us. When we forget to recognize God, we become complainers. We become the people who can only see wrongly what was in the past and we forget that God has been kind and that he is a God who sees us where we are. So they can start to complain or they can start to pray, but they really aren't going to do both. They're going to do one or the other. Complaining has momentum. Prayer has momentum. But they go the opposite direction of each other. So they didn't pray. You'd kind of think God might say, now that's enough out of you. That's enough out of you. But instead, he hears the prayer that they didn't pray. And that, that is a great and wonderful thing that I want you to hear this. God wants you to learn to depend on him daily. And he will arrange a scenario whereby you will learn that lesson. Because learning to trust God, learning to trust him, is equal to learning to love him. If you don't learn to trust him, you will not have much in the way of affection for him. You won't learn to love him until you learn to trust him. And God is all about teaching us that he is trustworthy, he deserves our trust, and that in the trusting our affections grow for him. And in this self-reliance, our affections die for him. In the sense that I've got this. I don't need any help. I've got enough strength or money or good looks or will or whatever it is. In that, you will get cold-hearted towards God. So what would we expect to happen next? Maybe God to say, okay, that's enough out of you. Well, let's listen to what he does. Verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Just a, a footnote here. I was in a text very similar to this one time in a men's Bible study, and, and it hit me that I asked a guy to read this. And as he, he read the passage, it was similar. It's, he said, then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to ring bread on you. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? He was voicing angry dad, right? I mean, surely God's had enough, you know. Okay, 
I, I don't assume that at all in this moment. Right? So be mindful of how you voice God in the scriptures, you know, like, is he fed up? Is he angry? Listen, if he was angry, he'd had plenty of reason to be angry. But he hears the prayer they didn't even pray. He knows they need bread. In fact, he is guiding them into the scenario whereby they will look, they will pull out their pockets and say, I got nothing. And he knows they've not yet learned to turn to him. He knows that we haven't learned yet to do that. We live our lives in this very self-reliant thing where we work and we, uh, we, we get our paycheck and then we go and we buy and, and okay, and then God is somewhere up there in the midst of this provision that is happening in my life, but I don't feel that. Okay, and so the Lord says to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread down on them. They can't plant, they can't water, they can't harvest. They're in a tough spot by my design, and I'm about to provide for them. Let's keep watching and see how the Lord provides for them. It says, I have heard the grumbling, verse 12, of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. And then what? Then you're going to know that I'm the Lord your God. So here's something that God does. He says to them, I'm about to show you a miracle. I'm about to introduce into the nation of Israel two wonderful gifts. The first is daily dependence. The second one is that you would rest. And believe me when I tell you, these two are linked together. Daily dependence on God, rest and worship. You really can't get to rest and worship without daily dependence on God. That was true then. That is true now. And so listen to what he says. In the evening, quail will come up and cover the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is Bread, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. Down in uh, verse 19, it says, Let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it. Until the morning, but it bred worms and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each uh, as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Pause for a second and see what is happening. I mean, if God was interested in keeping them fed, why do it this way? I mean, if he just wanted to, as you sleep at night, Suddenly your stomach will be filled and you will be satisfied. I mean, just do it that way. No. You're going to see the glory of God because you're going to wake up and you're going to look and realize that it was God who provided this heavenly bread for you. It didn't just happen without your knowing as you slept. You actually woke up, looked and said, what in the world is that? That's the bread that God has given you, and it's a miracle that it even showed up. 
There's no explanation for this provision other than God did it. It's bread. So go out and gather each one of you an omer. Well, how big's an omer? Turns out an omer is about the exact size of a two-liter bottle of Coke. Right? So think of, you know, two-liter bottle. Each person in your tent gets to eat that in the morning. And you're going to have to get up in the morning because if you wait and you sleep in, the stuff is going to melt and you're not going to have any. And each person, each day, will learn that God is my provider as they get in there and they pick up this manna. And, and there's an interesting passage in Numbers that describes it. Listen to how Numbers chapter 11 describes manna. It says, now the manna was like coriander seed, so about like a poppy seed. And its appearance was that of delium, so it's kind of pearl white. And the people went out, and they gathered it, and they ground it in the hand mills, and they beat it in the mortars, and they boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. Now, I don't know about you, but I was at Krispy Kreme yesterday morning. Pastries that have been boiled in oil. I'm like, I think they've been donuts. For what I can tell. And you got to know that just like Forrest Gump, when, when he's talking about they got shrimp kebab, boiled shrimp, shrimp scampi, you know that they figured out a way to make this manna into a hundred different dishes, right? Every day, except on that sixth day. And if you decided, you know what, I kind of want to sleep in tomorrow, so I'm just not going to eat my whole two liter of this. I'm just going to leave it overnight. You'd wake up in the middle of the night and go, is that is it my feet is it your feet who no it's the manna that you decided you were going to have as a midnight snack it stinks and it's got worms can you imagine you ever do this when you get a, a glass of milk and you didn't check it and it's old and chunky and you, you didn't know it till you got it in your mouth you're like oh ouch <laughs> that's what's happening here you're not going to be able to corner the market and save some up and have a little black market of manna. It's going to be a daily dependence on the opening hand of God. You will learn that He is the one who provides for you every single day. And on the sixth day, you're going to need to double up. Because that seventh day, there will be no manna. So let's stop and let's just look at the provision of God. Couldn't explain that for any reason. That on six days, manna comes, I eat it, I can't store it up, i got to go every day. There's enough for me and each person in my household every day. But how about this quail? It's not just manna in the morning, it's quail by the evening. God provides that as well. And so again, a miracle of God. But one of them is a little more explainable than the other. If, if I'm looking to say, well, I mean, God provides sometimes in ways that I could kind of explain how that happened. I mean, quails, it's a well-known migratory uh, place there in that land that birds would be coming from Africa up into Asia and so into Europe. And so we, we know why there would be birds there. We can explain the quail. Okay, you can't explain the manna. I look at my life, and, and, and it's good to do this if you haven't done this in a while. Look back at the faithfulness of God in your life and see it in the form of chapters 
I have a chapter that is called Dallas Seminary, my first year of marriage. I have a chapter that is called Drive Financial, where I worked as a chaplain while I was in seminary. I have a, a chapter after that, Sherman, Texas. I have a chapter that is called Plainfield, Illinois. In every single chapter, I can see both manna and quail. What do I mean by that? I mean, I can look and I can say, God, you have provided for me. You provided for me in ways that probably could be explainable. Anybody let go? Well, yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, that wasn't God's hand. That was just you working hard and getting it done. I could explain that one. Okay, but I can also show you times when nothing in the world would explain other than the good hand of God said, here, have this. When I was a chaplain in my first year of marriage, uh, I was, uh, Monica was working at uh, Starbucks at the time. Uh, We got pregnant with our first, uh, firstborn, three months into marriage. I'm working, I've got, I'm making hardly anything working at Prestonwood Baptist Church at first, and I'm like, hey, we don't even have insurance. And you're not making it up. I said, let's just ask God, would you give us a job that will pay for seminary, have good insurance, and that we could still go on a date now and then? And a guy in my Sunday school class at uh, Prestonwood said to me, hey, I'd like you to come to my my bank, the, the bank that he owns, I want you to be my chaplain. And I was like, he said, I think God's telling me to help you. Now, first year seminary, somebody says, I think God's telling me to help you. The answer is, yeah, I think he is too. Totally agree. And within two weeks of praying, I found myself working at this company, making way more than I ought to have been making, insurance and, and seminary paid for. And I look and go, what? That's crazy that you would do this, that you would provide for us like that. And he didn't just drop it in my lap. He let me go out and, and, and work for it, do all that. But as I was learning how God provided for me, my love for him started to grow. Uh, that would feel like very much like a quail moment for me. Okay, I can explain it. This is how God did it. But let me tell you about a manna one where I look up and go, uh-uh, nobody but God could have done that. When I was working at Drive Financial and I was about to graduate from Dallas Seminary, somehow they had been taking out way too much money out of my check. They were just taking way too much out for what they thought were going to be my taxes. And so as we graduated from Dallas Seminary and were looking for a job, and I had no income for like four months, we got the biggest stupidest tax return I've ever seen in my life, probably ever that day all the way till now. We've never seen such a huge tax return. And we're like, what? You knew two years ahead that I would need this. And you just started storing it up for me. Now, friends, let me tell you something. It's not about the job and it's not about the money. It's about learning to trust the invisible hand of God who sees where I'm at and knows what I need. And learning to trust Him, learning to look to Him for my providence. What a gift. What a joy to know Him as my provider. Look around you. If you find yourself in a spot where you go, I don't see any way forward, I can't make it. You can start to complain. 
and point fingers. You're just trying to kill us out here in the, in the wilderness. I wish I could go be a slave again. That, that's the sound of your voice. When God would have you get on your knees and just say, Father, I, look, the truth is I really do have a need. I, I don't see any way to meet it. I need you to meet it. Would you do that for us? Would you do that for our family? Would you, would you teach me not just to trust in, in the providence of your hand, but in the provider? And there is a big difference between trusting in the provision and trusting in the provider. And many of us live in that, well, if there's enough money, then I'm good. And God would say, but I'm the bread maker. Trust in me. That's what they're learning in the wilderness. And so God gives them manna to eat every day, and he gives them quail to eat. One more explainable than the other, both of them miracles from God. But he also gives them rest. Now listen to this. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Verse 22. Two omers. And when all the leaders of the congregation came to Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside and be, and be kept till morning. So they laid aside uh, until morning, and Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms. And Moses said, Eat it today, for tomorrow. Uh, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each one of you in his place. Let none of you go out of his place and on, the, on the seventh day. And so the people rested on the seventh day. So God not only wanted to teach them to depend on his opening hand every day. For 40 years, he would bring them food for 40 years. And on that seventh day, he said, because I am your provider, you rest. Just like God did on the seventh day of creation, he rested. Not because he was tired, but because it was finished. Listen, this may, must have made some pretty awkward greetings that seventh day in the morning. You get up and you don't really believe in what God has said. You're out there to find your manna. You run into someone else out there doing the same thing. Oh, hey, what are you doing out here? I'm just disobeying God like you. It'd be like two Baptists running each, into each other at the liquor store. Like, oh, man, you know, we, were, we got caught, didn't we? Here we are. Oops. They're out there and shouldn't be, and they know it because they haven't really trusted in the promise of God. And because of that, they're out there searching for something that's not going to come. And who, does, who gets the rebuke? Moses gets the rebuke. I mean, just picture yourself out there in that wilderness. God's done a miracle and you know it. But the question has to be this. Will he do it again tomorrow? I mean, don't we kind of live in a little of that tension? I know that you provided for me in the past. I'm just not positive you're going to do it again. 
I'm not sure that your faithfulness will see me all the way through. And because of that, I disobey your word. And God is all about teaching us, one, that he's your provider, two, that because of that you can rest. If you don't believe that God's your provider, you will not take a day off. Friends, I want you to know these are shadows. This quail and manna is a shadow. There's a substance that is waiting for them in the New Testament. This rest that happens one day a week where you say, no, I'm not getting up today. I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to linger long. I'm going to have a rolling start to the day, and I'm going to stop work. That rest is also a shadow. The substance, his name is Jesus. Once you start to realize that even the Passover lamb was really just a shadow of the substance that someday would be the Lord God Almighty in human flesh. Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He is my provider and my provision. And because of him, I don't have to work. I don't have to provide for myself a means to fix what is broken between me and God. Because of Jesus, I can take my foot off the accelerator. So when you realize that Jesus is your provider and your provision, you find yourself saying, oh, so good. My body needs food every day. Go to him and ask for it. Go to him and say, I need this. But did you also know that your spirit needs grace every single day? The accusing voice of who you ought to be, who you wanted to be, you will hear that negative narrative at work in your soul. You will feel like you are failing. Go to him and find grace. Listen to this from John chapter 6, verse 29 through 35. Listen to this. Jesus has just fed a bunch of people and and they want to find him in the morning because they're hungry for breakfast. And so they go out looking for him. It says that when they found him, they said to him, what must we be doing to do the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who's whom he has sent. Believe in the Messiah, believe in the, the one that God has sent. And they said to him, what sign do you do? that we may see and believe in you. What work do you perform? We've got a suggestion for you, Jesus. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Sir, give us this bread always, just like the woman at the well. And Jesus said to them, listen to this, I am the bread of life. The manna was me. The sustenance they needed that could give them a sense that they didn't have to do it themselves, that was me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Down in verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. I came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for eternal life to the world is my flesh. (laughs) Friends, can you see that the substance is Jesus That when you believe in him, you not only have what you need for your physical life, he's got that. You have for your inner person the satisfying life of Jesus. And so because we eat from him daily, we take in grace from him daily, we hear his voice speaking rest and provision over us, we find ourselves able to stop rushing, to stop performing. To stop trying to be something that we're not. We get to be undressed, if you will, in front of the eyes of our God who loves us. Because Jesus covers us. And Jesus sustains us. And this is a great truth for our generation, for our time. That Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of rest. I give rest. And if you don't believe that God is your provider, you will not rest. If you don't believe that God is the one who's provided your Savior, you'll keep trying to perform. If you don't believe that God is, that we're just as dependent on the opening hand of God as they were. They ate manna. Well, guess what? The food that's in your cabinet, he provided it. You're just as dependent as they are. You just can't see it. And if you can't take a day off, It's because you don't believe that he's your provider. Ask me how I know that. Sometimes it just keeps, I think I was born in a generation by parents who were raised, both parents were raised by uh, parents, grandparents, my grandparents who had gone through the Great Depression. And so work, 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 always work, always a little bit more. That translates right into your spiritual life. There is a type of weariness that a nap will not fix. And some of you know that very well. It's because you're you're owning a sense of your own provision physically, but you're carrying that right into your spiritual life. If I do this, God will finally be pleased with me. And that's why you can't rest. And friends, if work is an idol, rest will always feel like laziness. If work's an idol, meaning it becomes the thing that makes you feel safe. When I work, I know I get a paycheck and I know I get this and I perform well, so I I get that. So that's when I feel good is when I'm working. Guess what? Work has now become an idol and when you rest, you feel like you're being lazy. And you have totally missed the opening hand of God in your life. And God wants to teach you in your wilderness journey, trust me, lean on me. For your physical needs, yes. For your soul needs, yes. Turn to me. What did Jesus say? I mean, I hope you read this every now and then. It's a little dark today. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden. I will give you rest. Rest. Rest is found in him, our great provider. 
Friends, when you see this up here week after week after week, this bread, this cup, it's because he said, do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. Eat of my body, drink of my blood. I am your provider. I am your Passover lamb. You're not enough, but he is. Let's pray. Father, I just praise you and thank you. You bring us into the wilderness that we might learn to look to your opening hand. That you're our provider. Sometimes we can explain it. Sometimes it makes no sense. It's just some crazy, beautiful miracle you've done. Thank you, God, for being such a good provider. You did not leave us as orphans. Your greatest gift is your son and his spirit to dwell in us until we come home, until we're through the wilderness, until we come home to heaven someday. And we look back at these stories and say, oh, yeah, wow, he, he did provide for me. He did give me spiritual rest in Jesus. He gave me physical rest in my body. Thank you. Friends, I want you to take what you've heard this morning and I want you to turn it into a prayer. If something stood out to you, I want you to turn that into a prayer right now and ask God to help you receive that truth deeply in your heart. If you're convinced that God wants you to just try harder, be better, do more, friends, that's a that's a treadmill you'll never get off until you come to Jesus. He is our Sabbath rest. We can trust in Him to be enough because you're not. We're going to receive communion after we pray. I want you to take a moment and just pray about what you've heard and then we'll receive communion.